One of the biggest recurring themes in all of our podcasts from series nine was the idea of setting boundaries in life, love and work. In this episode, we looked at the roles we play for those around us and the importance of letting them go sometimes and prioritizing yourself. Subscribe to the Lennon Courtney podcast wherever you get yours and you'll be the first to get season 10 when it lands. And of course, follow at Lennon Courtney on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter and everywhere else on the internet for the latest news and updates. We love you. See you soon. Uh, this whole banter started on the, on the group about, OK, wh- uh, when are we going to do the big shop? And I was like, no big shop. We're going to simplify this all right back. We're not cooking. And there was this kind of we can do that? Like, yeah, we can. <laughs> Seven women went away. We weren't wives, partners, mothers, daughters. We were women. And it was like all the other roles that we play. Can f- can off. I'm Sonia Lennon. And I'm Brendan Courtney and you're listening to the Lennon Courtney Podcast. Alas, we've come to the end of series nine. And to send you off into the sunset, we've got a really good one. We're talking about who we are to ourselves and the roles we play for others. This is a thinking woman's guide to role play. (laughs) So anyway, in any ways, this is the last episode of season nine of the Lennon Courtney Podcast. What do you think about that? Thank God. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, I forgot you're a grumpy old man. <laughs> oh no, I miss you guys, Evelyn and Sinead. <laughs> and no. we'll miss you too, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm very excited about season ten. So watch this space. Okay, so you've basically given up on season nine now, have you? No, no. I just, I, you know, I don't like theming things Christmas because oh, here's the thing: I hate Christmas. No, we know. I and we're not hate theming. Christmas. We're not theming. Don't this mention Christmas. the C word. Okay. Christmas okay. Eve next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about we forget the fact that it's nearly Christmas and we talk about role play? Saucy. Thinking Woman's Guide to Role Play. Instantly, I think of that brilliant movie where who's the actress? Julie Walters played the madam. Do you remember? Oh yeah, uh, personal services. Cynthia, pa- Cynthia Payne. Yeah, it's personal services. An absolutely brilliant film, and it was all about anyway. That's and do you remember the other the play. other um, fabulous film with Maggie Gyllenhaal, Secretary? Do you remember that one? I didn't see that. Oh my god, it's amazing. But anyway, we are not necessarily talking about the saucy side of role play, although we might slip into that during the course of. The- <laughs> <laughs> Take that <head>. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, this is really um, on the back of a discussion that we started having around the different roles that we play with different groups in our lives. And let me tell you my little theory about this, right? So I'm going to stretch my glute while you do that. Okay, I I would love that. Um, So (laughs) I have a funny feeling that the roles that we adopt, play, are expected of us because there's a difference between the uh, uh, my theory is that there's a difference between the roles that we play and the roles that are expected of of us from different groups and I'll tell you what I mean by that I think that it's almost like say my school group who I would have been in secondary school with my role stopped evolving when we left school and has kind of stayed the same 
So mm. I am to them what I was in school. What were you? Um, I... Uh, SWAT? No, I wasn't a SWAT. Fashion girl? I think I probably... Fun? I was a bit of fun. I was a bit... Yeah, I, I, it's not that I've defined the role, but I know Capable. I know that the evolution of it Stop. stopped when we left school and stayed <laughs> there to a certain extent. And do you know what? That's probably why I'm not friends with anybody from school. I'm not friends with a single person I went to school with. I'm not not friends, but I'm not friends. Like if I saw them, it'd be nice. I don't I don't bear any grudge or any resentment. You know, there's and there's some people I was really good friends with in school. But then I, I that was the kind of weird thing about coming out. I kind of took a shell off mm. and, and the actual me came out and the person I'd been living till I was 19 was a bit of a lie from the age of about six upwards. So it kind of, I shed it, which is weird and a bit sad. And from my point of view, I don't necessarily see it as a negative. What I see it is that anything else that happened after that is kind of irrelevant because it's like our, our acknowledgement of each other as individuals is quite basic. And fixed. Not not necessarily fixed, but kind of basic and not influenced by anything else that's happened to so us. So quite sweet. Yeah, it is. There's a kind of a naivety to it in a so way. So I, I have a weird one for you, right? Talk about roles. I have a very good friend, Ian, who listens to the podcast, right? And Hiya. And Ian, I remember, when I, I think it was I, first of all, it was driving. And he was like, I can't imagine you driving a car. Like, why can't you imagine me driving a car? He was like, you're just, you're just not a person who drives a car. I was like, why, what role do I play in our lives? And then when I was r- running, he was like, shut up, you running. I was like, yeah, I do run. And so he had me in a... In a in <laughs> so a, what was his version of you? That I'm just a big gay party boy. Okay. And, uh, which I also am. But I think that's the only side of me he'd seen. So anything, that, a, yeah. anything that was related to maturity, real life, um, solidity, he didn't see that as he part of your identity. He couldn't see that as me, no, because I, I suppose I, I, he, at the time, we were only hang, we we're very good friends now and we know each other very, very well. But at the time, he only saw party brand. Fun, but we only met at the weekends in nightclubs and stuff. I didn't hang out with them properly or holiday with them or anything like that. And it really struck me that you, we, we are certain things to certain people. So even in our, my public life, my public life, but being on the telly and all that stuff, the amount of people who've said to me, I, 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 listen, I've lost count. Oh, you have a brain. <laughs> There's a judgment that went with the style I was doing, which was kind of late night camp fun right so with that we go and it's funny there's a judgement around late night camp fun as being kind of stupid superficiality to it yeah it doesn't have any depth so so anyway so I know exactly what you're saying so that role that I played took me remember you said to shed it you say say it's going to be on my gravestone take me seriously so here's the thing do you remember um, when I started presenting Off the Rails RTE uh, contracted Paul Musselly days to do training, media training with me. And he's he's a fabulous guy, really, really smart guy. And at the time, I was really not sure that it was the right direction career-wise. I didn't know if it was the right thing to do. Um, I was really nervous about leaving behind my career as a stylist. And I wasn't particularly getting on well with my series producer at the time. I wasn't liking the atmosphere. We, we hadn't got a great connection. And so Paul came in uh, she brought me down to the canteen and she said, this is this is Paul, he's going to be working with you today. And he kind of took a look at me and he said, do you mind if I have a quick word with your producer? And I said, no problem at all. 
And he went off and he spoke to her for no more than 30 seconds. And we went into a training room and he said to me, now, he said, do you want to tell me what the problem is? Wow. And I said. Amazing. Have you not heard this one before? No, I love that. Well, I forgot. It wasn't about me. Go on. And I said, excuse me? And he said, well, every fibre of your being is telling me that you don't want to be here. I can see it in your body language. I can hear it in your words. So what's the problem? And I said to him, okay. Okay, I'll tell you what the problem is. I said, problem is I've had a really good, really lucrative career for the last 20 years and I'm walking away from it and there's risk involved with that and I'm not sure I'm making the right decision. And the other bit is that I'm now going to be a fashion TV presenter and I don't want to be a blonde bimbo. I want to be taken seriously. I have a really good reputation in in my previous career and I don't want to risk that. And he said, well, I asked your series producer one question. I said to her, what do you want Sonia to be? And she looked at me blankly and said, I don't know. So he said, whatever it is that you want to be, you can. it's entirely up to, to you because nobody else cares. So Amazing. you make that decision. And that was really the first time that I learned the rule of thumb, nobody cares. Yeah. And that you, you, whoever you want to be, you're in charge of it, right? Um, and, and that was a real pivot point, you know? And I think we get stuck in roles and... I'll tell you one more sto- story, which is the other. And did that excite you when he said that? It freed me. Right. Yeah. yeah it yeah. freed me to know. You thought you were going to be boxed in yeah. by them. Yeah. 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 And, and then I thought, OK, I've built up this kind of story in my head, this narrative about people's expectations of me, happened. which nobody, nobody has yeah. made except me. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. And the other side of that expectations piece is my mom ended up in A&E recently. And I, myself, Dad and Ash all went to the hospital uh, to, to bring her into A&E because we, we knew we knew she, knew she had to get a... a um, Cast. A, no, this was this was a CAT scan. Oh, she'd, yes. d- she'd hurt her head. And uh, so I said, we all brought her and I said, I'll go into a and I'll go into the ward. I'll stay with her. I'll, I'll get to a certain point and then we'll do a change into the guard. Ash, you can come in. Dad, you go home, relax. We'll keep you posted, right? So that was fine. So I was in there until four o'clock till she got loads of procedures done. And then I rang Ash and I said, come on in. And Ash came in, we did a swap over. I went home. About eight o'clock, now, mum had been fine with me, absolutely fine with me, happy out, la, 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 la. Ash came in at about eight o'clock, Ashling rang me and I could hear mum in the background wailing, like as if somebody was strangling her, you know. And Ash said to me, I, I need you to come in, that I can't handle this anymore, right? Mum was in a cubicle with the curtain open, there were people in the corridor waiting. When I went in at around half eight, uh, mum flipped. Now, mum has really progressed dementia. Right, really progressed. She flipped and started going jazz hands again. Right. <coughs> and Ash, her jaw fell. She looked at the woman who was sitting on a chair opposite the cubicle whose jaw was also hitting the floor. And Ash said, will you please tell my sister what we've been experiencing with this woman up until right now? And the woman said, it's like she's a different person. It's like she's a different person. She was in the horrors. Right. Now, Ashling is a million times kinder, more nurturing, more giving, more loving, more present than I am. Right. So my role in the family is fun Bobby, jazz hands, come in, atmos. Right. And so even despite her dementia, mum acknowledged in some way that that was my role. Wow. And and look, dementia patients surf 
emotion. They surf the ambiance in a room. And, uh, but it was fascinating. And like, Ash was really upset and she was like, what the hell is going on, you know? And I think sometimes the more we give of ourselves, that that role becomes kind of expected of you. And yeah. back to the boundaries piece again. Yeah. That that it's like there need if you can put a hard stop between you and other people in terms of their expectations, I think quite often it can work in your favour. So my my role from the age of six, and I remember the first time was fixer. To fix it in my family. And being being commended for fixing whatever, going to the going to the getting paracetamol or getting a cold towel for someone with a headache or just making people comfortable and fixing them and getting really rewarded for that. Oh, you're the best. Nobody can do it like you. Like, and I was brought up, to, that's my role. I'm, and I only get approval when I do that. I've learned that's not my role. I anymore. mean, it's so Pavlovian, it's isn't horrible. it? It's horrible. And I was the youngest and the only boy until I was 16. And even at 16, I managed the house because my mum worked. And it was great that she worked. We were proud that she worked and there was more income in the house because she worked and we had a better life because she worked. But I was ve- very, like, and they would say things, both of them, about how house proud I was at 15, 14 years of age. And I took that as a badge. I am real house proud. Fuck off and let me go outside and play with my friends. Like, I Which w- probably feeds into your OCD. About and the house? Yeah, totally. Like, I have to have the house I really, I, I say I enjoy it. I need to relax about it. I, I kind of like, like with fashion when I was in my 20s, I kind of can't wait to care. Not to I, care. I can't wait to not care. Like, to relax and enjoy the house. The house sometimes looks like a showroom. No, it doesn't. No, it's lovely. I love my house. But sometimes it's too clean. Sometimes yeah. I'm, it doesn't look like I'm, we live in it. Mine rarely is now, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it, look, I, sometimes it, it upsets me. It doesn't look like we live there. Like, I need to, and I'm breaking those, those bounds up. But that role... Was, it, was given to me as a child and I think that's really interesting for people listening is what roles were given to you despite not wanting them. You know, and if you look back now over your life and go, what role did, was particularly your mother, I mean, those, those the, the, the roles I think predominantly come from the material, you know, if you have a mother and you're lucky enough to grow up, it's that direction within the house for our generation because dad was at work all the time. She was at work all the time but she was left to manage us in the house so she gave us all roles. She was double shifting. She was double shifting so it was hard for her. So I mean, I, this is a conversation completely founded in forgiveness and understanding but also an ability to go, I don't want that role anymore, thanks. You're grand. And what's really interesting, like boundaries, if you don't remove yourself from those roles, you don't free the other person up to find another way to do it. So if you don't put boundaries down, people just keep coming to you for the same... Mm. Enablement. And and, and they don't even fucking sometimes need it. They just come because, oh, he'll do that. He'll he'll make that happen. She'll make that happen. I'll just get that off them. And then when you you put the boundary up, they they just go around the boundary and go somewhere else. It's Mm. really amazing. I've started really using boundaries properly. And to watch, it's like the people are in in an invisible maze. I put the boundary there. They walk towards me. They don't get it. They just sort of turn, walk away and go to try and get it somewhere Mm. else. And actually what it does, it opens people, like you're doing people a huge favour by putting boundaries down. Like it's amazing. And if you reject the role, so I suppose what, what, what I'm obviously going through serious therapy at the moment with an incredible therapist that I just met about six months ago and I, he's just brilliant. I'm really enjoying it because I'm at a very comfortable stage in it. It's not very emotional. Nobody's died recently, you know. Well, sorry, actually my uncle passed away, but, you know, and nobody in my immediate family that I had to care for and nurture, I could just go and enjoy, you know, enjoy the funeral and remember my uncle fondly and we all shed a tear. So it wasn't my pressure, it was my cousin's pressure. But, and even that, in the roles and in the families, I came away from that experience going, 
There's a TV format in family politics. Totally. It's amazing. The roles people have within those... And they're all roles that people are given, then you accept the role, then you fulfil the role, and then you get to a point in your life... And it perpetuates. And it perpetuates. And it must be really difficult for people with a few kids who've been in these roles, they then they'll go into the role and they have a boy and a girl and then they start to see themselves give that role, maybe I'm just making an example, to the little girl. But it's, it's you know? easy done, you know, and I think about like, so two weeks ago. It's easy done, it really it's, is. It's, it? and, and it takes such a sense of awareness to stop that from happening. So two weeks ago, myself and six amazing women who I love, who are my friend group, uh, went glamping. Right, down to Waterford, Comrade Pods, can't recommend it highly enough. Amazing place. And those women are all part of a WhatsApp group. They're obviously a friend group before they're a WhatsApp group, but they're a particular WhatsApp group of women who, and the whole, all of the, the, the ones who've joined that group last say, oh my God, I've never experienced such a positive, uplifting, supportive, fun, joyous, supportive group. Yeah, it's amazing. And like there's no, in a way, there's a kind of a lovely energy to it. And so when seven of us went away, we we were, you know, we were in a lovely place. And funny enough, because part of my role would be around kind of, you know, foodie, like that would be part of my thing. And like... Which is a role you like. Which is a role I like. But I didn't want it in this instance because it was... Well, you can't pick and choose. Well, no, you can. <laughs> you can because I, this whole banter started on the on the group about, OK, when, uh, when are we going to do the big shop? And I was like, no big shop. OK, we're going to simplify this all right back. We're going to order in pizza on the first night and we're going to do something else. I don't know what, on the second night. We're not cooking. We're just not doing it. Good right? And they were like, OK. <laughs> <laughs> and there was this kind of... We can do that? Yeah, we can. Yeah, we can. And so seven women went away. We were women. We weren't wives, partners, mothers, daughters. We were women. And it was like all the other roles that we play can fuck off. Can fuck off. Lovely. Left behind, right? And the purity of that... Honest (laughs) to God, that's exactly what it was like. And we, we... you know, got up, we went swimming in the sea, we went climbing finding up water. Finding yourself, finding yourself. Not, well, not, no, no, that not girl, finding, reconnecting. Yeah. Nice. And and so it's that kind of, and we laughed and we snorted and we danced and we played stupid hoop games on the backs of doors and, and it was just like, it was the simplicity of it mm. because it was completely stripped of any expectations from or anybody. Roles. Or roles. And I think the roles that we play and the older we get, the more roles we play, right? Because then you're playing, you know, carer to elderly parents or or kind of you're taking on that kind of additional responsibility of of not not active elder care necessarily, but a mindfulness of of the needs of others, you know, um, and it's it's a lot. It, mm. it, it, it ends up as this kind of emotional needs cocktail. Well, there was also, we're the generation breaking that. So previous generations took in their older parents because there was no choices because you weren't going into a public nursing home and very few people could afford private. There was very few private nursing homes actually in the 70s and 80s in this country. But, uh, you know, the documentaries I made, I was, and I got some criticism as well for the, my mum's one in particular where I was like, no, I'm mum, you need to make a plan because I'll have to make a plan because I won't have a me. And actually it's easy to make the plan. We have to have these awkward, difficult conversations because I'm not going to be your full-time carer. You're going to have to make a plan. Now, 
it kind of worked and half worked. She didn't really want to make a plan and blah, 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 because she's a bit of an age denier and all that kind of stuff. But she kind of half made a plan where I was like, okay, we'll facilitate your care. Now, there is a, I still am very responsible for her and she's safe and she has care every day now and all that kind of stuff. Much like the situations mm. you had to make decisions. So you, you fundamentally do become the fixer and the carer, mm. but not the pra- not the day-to-day carer because that's just not practical because also you have to earn a living because somebody mm. has to fund this shit. But um, I, had to, I had to redefine those roles because that that generation either moved in with the parent or the parent moved in with them. Now, my, funny enough, my mother didn't. So she had actually started to break the mould. Mm. She wouldn't, she would not, she would not full-time care for her parents. She, she put a foot down and said, no, and we're going to find other ways to do this. I have young children and blah, blah, blah. So we could see that there was, there was a change afoot. But older generations just had to accept those roles. That was just it. You were just given the role. I mean, it's also down to the fact you had to accept when you got children because you couldn't get contraception. So there was very little choice about what roles you played in society, right? So actually there's a rebirth of role and decision making around what role you accept and don't accept. But for me, when I have this conversation with other people, they, there's kind of an awakening. Mm. They go, oh yeah, Jesus Christ. I, and they sit back and they think, actually, even in work, my role is, I, I have a role that's beyond my job which facilitates other people. I don't want to do that role anymore. Which, which role is I'm just that? saying people have said to me, it could be the, the, the person who listens to other people's problems. That could be, you know, she's a really good listener. That's because you've appointed that role to that person. Do you ever listen to them? You know, and, and so uh, just somebody I'm thinking in particular was like, Jesus, yeah, I have, a, I have this role that I don't want that I've allowed to, to evolve because I am a good listener and, you know, when I'm in the mood. So it's, I feel there's a sort of an awakening and confidence in people going, Actually, no, I don't want to do that. But I do think that as a society, we are more emotionally aware and evolved. 100%. Okay, That's so, why we're having so this conversation. We, we know more, yeah. right? Um, and with that in mind then, we have to really challenge like some of the decisions that we make around others, whether we're just perpetuating a role or whether it is in fact the right thing to do. As in whether or not it's in our head or whether yeah. it's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the narrative you tell yourself as well. Because people don't care. <laughs> In my, I like, and I, I've told my family this, like, I'm like, to all of them, I've had to say, I am not your first port of call now. I'm not that person anymore. To all of them, I've said, stop it. Stop coming to me. Stop asking me for lifts. Stop, stop asking me to, stop asking me first. Because it's not fair. Because I, I was doing everything. And then I was kind of accepting it and then I was getting angry about it and then I was like, but this is not fun. This is not good for anybody. So I'll do what I can. And actually when you do what you can, when it suits you, you do it with a full heart. Mm. You do it with a smile and you're delighted to do it. So, for example, I'll have to do a, a, a full day with mom in the hospital, but I've wiped out the day. She's got the day. We'll go for lunch. I'm, I'm, I'm completely clear for it. It's when I get asked to do again and again and again and again. I'm like, no, stop. Stop asking me because it's unfair. And I keep saying to my siblings, it's not fair that I'm the only one. I need you to step up, guys. And they're all all relatively being quite as best they can. Like, so people react really quite well to boundaries. Honestly, and when I started this work and read the book, the one thing that the book and the therapist said to me, you'd be amazed at how well people react to boundaries. And the book, just for reference, just in case you didn't hear the episode where we um, referenced it, it was The Illusion of Limitation by Guy Finley, which is a series of um, spoken lectures. It is insane. insane. There's a few real mind-blowing moments in it. It's next level. It's, It's... 
it's next level. It's it's not what you think it's going to be. Yeah, it's it's very philosophical. Yeah, but it's great. Yeah, it is. Because it really leaves you pondering. I mean, that was what triggered me into this. Going, I don't have boundaries with people. And even, like, even with my friendship groups, there's an, there was an expectation over the years that I would pay. That was on me. Mm. That wasn't them. Mm. <laughs> that was me. I was doing that. Mm-hmm. No, 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 I've got this. Like I remember one of my friends going, why Why do you do that? And I was like, oh my God, why do I do that? And I stopped. It was really easy. You know, now I am generous and you know, and I really enjoy generosity and I enjoy, I, I really do enjoy saying, no, no, I've got this. And I, it's part of, uh, I suppose, the chivalrous culture that I was reared in. And I, I like it. I enjoy it. So it, it's not, and I enjoy when I leave and someone goes, oh, and I get a little text. That was really nice. Thank you. so much." Mm. You know, so I don't mind that. And that's just, that's a gifting thing that I really enjoy. But there's a, no, there's a beyond that, which had to stop. It was a role I put in my own head because I saw my dad do it. Mm-hmm. And I have another person in my life who does it all the time as well, because his dad did it. And I, I see it all. I see the pattern. And then when you get older, and nobody's doing it back. And I remember my dad getting a bit bitter about it. Mm. So he'd look across the room at someone who'd load the money and he'd go, I, pay, I brought them points. And I remember thinking, well, that, you did that. They didn't ask. Didn't ask for it. Yeah, so you do, you, you're right. And then back to what, where we started this. Half the roles you, you do are in your head. Totally. Yeah. You are the master of your own destiny. Well, I think it's the two sides of it, isn't it? I, I think that there are expectations of what's me. Our role, what's my role in our relationship? <laughs> oh, very long pause. Trying to think, I have, I haven't ever. I think we're quite put equal. An, put an, I think we're definitely equal. Um, we had a, we had a, we had a creative meeting the other day, and when you left, I actually said to Adam, I absolutely fucking love creating with Sonia. It's so equal and it's like we're kind of in the same head sometimes and then we're like no shut up no this one do it this way oh look at this one look at this. Like, like kids building a Lego mm. set mm. no that's the give me the yellow one. Oh yeah the yellow one's over there yeah like that's what it's I like I tell you what I do we're like what, what, what I do notice what I do notice is that there are seasons um, and that there are good times and bad times um, and I I think when 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 we're in bad times, when when times are tough, I definitely, um, I'm trying to bring things along. Yeah, I'm trying to, you know, boy, boy, you up maybe. Yeah, and 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 keep things moving. Um, but that's t- tough times are tough times, and and regardless of what role you play, you find your own way to get through th- mm. through it. I think. Um, I think I feel like we're in we're in really kind of exciting times now and I want to kind of acknowledge that and mark that and nearly kind of start, start again. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I could I you know when I could really see that um was in Cork when we went down to IE style and we were fizzy and we were excited and we were getting really creative and and it was just giddy and yeah. I just to me it's like saying, oh, she has it all. Nobody has it all. Nobody has it licked. And there is a seasonality to our roles. Mm. Um, and and they are dependent on the context and the circumstances. Mm. And so it's kind of acknowledging when, when you have the role in the bad times and then really enjoying your role in the good times. Woohoo! 